0: We all have a unique experience based on the way that we grew up, based on the way we learned how we fit in the world, how we earn love, attention, and affection. Um, But it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live. Like we're all looking for the same thing. We just want to belong and we just want to feel like we're living with a purpose.
1: Hey guys, welcome to our Soul Fan podcast where I interview spaceholders from all over the world. I'm your host, my name is Carolina, and I am the Connection Catalyst. I help spiritual entrepreneurs experience deeper connection with themselves, with others, and with the universe. Today on the show we have Davon Cayley, the therapist and the founder of The Alchemy of Authenticity. Welcome to the show, Davon. How are you doing?
0: Hi, hey, I'm so good. Thank you so much for reaching out and having me.
1: I am super excited to talk to you, especially that we want to touch upon the topics that are a little bit of a taboo, um, I think. And so uh, I would love to start with your story. How did you become a therapist? What has brought you to this mission, I guess, or to your path that you'd like to help people and you'd like to help them reprogram their subconscious mind and generally change their lives? I guess there is a nice story behind that. So I would love if you can share with us.
0: So it's actually funny, because I don't want to say like, I became a therapist by accident, but I almost feel like I got here by accident, Um, where something um, that I considered myself for my entire life is somebody that's a storyteller. Um, Like from the second that I could hold a pencil, I was writing short stories and writing stories and, um, you know, escalating into writing novels. And, you know, eventually, you know, I got into blogging. And, you know, my strength, I think, all through you know, grade school, high school was always English and writing. And I just genuinely loved telling the human story. And when I got to college, um, I initially actually went in and was studying film. Um, And I did a year as a film major, um, where my dream was to be a screenwriter, my dream was to be, you know, a best selling writer, um, and my minor was psychology. Um, But I kind of had a moment where I started wondering, like, what, um, I guess, is like the stable or secure future of me pursuing being a screenwriter. Like even um, I went to school just outside Washington, DC. And even there, the film industry was just so saturated that I started to doubt myself. Um, and so I switched my major and minor where I went into psychology. Um, and I realized like this is just a different way of sharing the human experience and telling the human story. It gets me really so much deeper into the human experience and understanding, you know, how do people think and how do they do what they do? And um, I just, I found out it's something um, I, I think I'm good at. And so I just kind of kept pursuing it. And, you know, next thing you know, now I'm getting my doctorate. <laughs> um, so yeah, still studying clinical psychology. I've been a therapist for four years now. Um, but yeah, just, I think, been sharing and exploring the human experience, you know, way, way, way before this even
1: started. Mm, Amazing. That's awesome. So over the last four years, when you have been a therapist, do you see some kind of like patterns in people? Do you see like it's kind of like almost copy paste uh, that people, people have problems, but then you actually have tools to resolve them because it's almost the same, like based on their personality, based on how they were programmed in their subconscious mind, childhood trauma and all these things. Do you feel like it's quite, let's say, maybe not easy, but like simple to move through people's issues in a way?
0: I want to say yes and no. Um, Because, like you're saying, we all have a unique experience based on the way that we grew up, based on the way we. Learned how we fit in the world, how we earn love, attention, and affection. Um, but it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live. Like we are all looking for the same thing. We just want to belong, and we just want to feel like we're living with a purpose. And like with that, it's like you know everybody has experienced insecurity. Everybody's experienced grief and loss and heartbreak and feeling inadequate. Um, and you know we imagine that we are the only people that have experienced this in our life, and we feel this deep shame, feeling like something is wrong with us, which is where we come back to authenticity. Where we aren't having these conversations. And so because we're not having these conversations, we imagine that we're alone, that we're the only ones that are going through this or experiencing it. And that is so far from the truth. And so um, even last night, I went out to dinner with a friend and she was talking about, um, you know, having intrusive thoughts and she felt like something was wrong with her. And, you know, we kind of broke it down and it was a super fun dinner conversation, but we felt like, you know, broke these thoughts down. And she's like, I feel so much more normal. And it's like, you were never abnormal to begin with. Like, we just don't, Talk about these things in a way that everybody else kind of realizes everybody is sort of experiencing a lot of these things just in different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that so much. There is no person walking on this earth that doesn't have any kind of trauma in their childhood. So even just the birth <laughs> yes. is already freaking traumatic. So I feel like mm-hmm. if if we are hidden with all these emotions then this is what's making the problem but if we if it was okay for us to feel any way we feel at any point even in the supermarket or even outside around people then i feel like the world would be much more healed and would be a better place for us all as well because as you said like people feel so weird when they feel negative stuff and it's not weird at all like everyone feels this way so if yeah as you said if we can just be together and just express all these you know, depths of our subconscious mind to each other, then it's the most healing thing ever. I feel like even just the presence of someone there, if you are going through a lot of traumatic um, emotions or anything like that, just the very presence of someone just holding space for you and being there for you is what is healing for someone sometimes. Just being with someone. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Would you
0: say that this is one of the most healing things ever? A hundred percent. And, you know, even like early careers as a therapist, sometimes it's hard because you have clients who come in and, You know, you're like, I don't necessarily know if we're making progress or sort of getting like, you know, deep into things. But, you know, you have to remember where it's like, yeah, people have been essentially trained their whole life that what they think, you know, their opinions, their needs are not important. And so even if you're talking about, you know, yeah, that person's experience at the grocery store that day, or, you know, what the person said at the bank, or, you know, just like little things as they go about their day, it's like, but you're teaching them that what they perceive in their day to day is important. And like, that is, you know, we can't start the therapeutic process until they feel like their experience is genuinely valued and important to the person that's like to anybody else in the world. Um, and so it's like, as you're sort of learning that in the therapeutic relationship, it's like, you're going to start to apply that to all of your other relationships too. And so it's like, you know, it, it's hard to where it's like, yeah, you don't go from like my perspective of like, are you making progress? Like, are you gaining something? It's like, where are you at in that process? Um, because I don't yeah, know your experiences. Like I'm still getting to know a client. So it's, um. Yeah first we have to learn like we are hurt through other people growing up and therefore we can only heal certain aspects of ourselves through other people and having someone that can pay genuine and authentic attention to the things that you're saying and provide that care and hold that space like that's that can be transformative
1: for some people mm. Mm, amazing thank you for sharing that Uh, I totally agree and resonate with everything that you're saying and that brings me to one uh, curious question because you were saying how you know you need to develop a relationship and meet this person and get to know them and so on and uh, you know I'm doing kind of like psychotherapeutic processes although I'm not a psychotherapist Mm -hmm. I just did some courses with specific methods and one of them is a method that Mm -hmm. focuses on the feeling that you are feeling right now and because you feel Mm -hmm. this feeling so deeply you're coming back to childhood trauma the very first time that you've experienced this feeling and then you resolve it there in terms of you express all these emotions that you were suppressing um, back then and then you have other parts of this process like inner child work you know reparenting your inner child coming as an adult to the memory and giving this child what it needed and then taking this child out of the memory into the safe space that you create mentally in your mind and so on and there are some other steps to this process but my question is um, because I've been looking for someone for example in my town in Szczecin in Poland I was looking for someone similar who does similar things to me and I was calling all these psychotherapist psychologist I was like okay this is what I do and I'm looking for someone to do exactly what I do because if I want to help some of my family members they're not going to listen to me but I want them to experience what I'm talking about you know and you know how it is with family members sometimes you just cannot uh, break the the wall there right I'm not a I'm not an authority figure for for some people in my family and that's okay and so but I would like to them to experience how it feels to heal this shit because actually when you heal and when you strip all these layers of subconscious traumas and everything, your life becomes so much more powerful and just so much better. So I just wanted to find someone and I called so many people and most of them were like, okay, yeah, we need to do like a therapy for like half a year or we need we have like a one year program or we have this and that or we just do talk therapy or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it for people who feel quite unsafe in life they maybe need this trust built over some time and build this relationship with the therapist but for people like me who are just like okay I'm just up for the ride just take me to my trauma and you know rest the result ASAP (laughs) Um, like first of all first of all yeah exactly first of all like which kind of methods of psychotherapy for example I should look for if I want to just go straight to the very very core problem because I think that okay talk, talk therapy about the things that are happening now is nice because maybe if you're not heard, then you're meeting the need for being heard, or maybe if you don't trust and you're building the trust but honestly in my view and it's only my ex- my view on based on my experience if you do do not go to your childhood trauma and don't resolve it there you kind of like only digging into the surface levels of your of your mind and if you really want to mm-hmm. go deep you need to go to this traumatic events that have started this emotional response in you that's my my perspective on it and that's what i found with my clients anyway but it might not be you know the ultimate truth Uh, but i'm curious about your perspective on it and how you feel about this like you know long-term therapy and this trust building versus going straight into the core problem and resolving it there because to me this you know resolving it straight away it just seems more effective and quicker and i understand that not everyone needs a quicker way maybe some people need to take it slower and and build the trust but how do you feel about this uh you know kind of like this discrepancy
0: yeah, I'm like, big <clears> throat think clear. Okay, so <laughs> I think there's a lot of different theories that I heard going on there, and kind of like what you're describing is like one of, I think, the biggest, biggest criticisms of psychotherapy is like a lot of the main theories are what we call manualized, um, meaning there's like a specific way that you're supposed to be moving through each of them. Like, there's a general sort of timeline of when you're supposed to start to see progress in these things. Um, but right now, the um, CIDI program that I'm in is focused on the humanistic perspective. And it's, again, like one of the biggest critics of that manualized process. Because like, How do I meet you specifically where you are at in your experience and go from there? And so if you've already done a lot of the healing work, if you already have a lot of experience, like, yeah, you're ready to just like head first, go in and like do all of these things. Um, and for some people, it's like they, um, like the average person can identify three emotions in their experience. Um, like, as I'm sure you're familiar, if you've seen, you know, the emotion wheel, it's like there are hundreds to thousands of different shades of emotion that we can experience and the average person can identify three. Are and you serious? No. Yes. Come on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Heard it on the Brene Brown podcast. Uh, I think it was a uh, Dr. By Meg Murphy, that was doing that research. Um, but yeah, that blew my mind when I heard that. Um, but also, kind of emphasize like, so two of the main theories that I use um, are emotion focused therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy, which is mindfulness based. And I think that you were describing being in that present moment. Um, so, a couple more things that I kind of heard in there, too, just to give some more theory and credibility to the work that you're doing um, is, you know, before we even have language, like, the only way that we have to perceive the world is our emotional experience. So the first way that we understand how we fit into the world and how the world works is through our emotions. And then we develop language. So like we have our core needs and our needs fuel our emotions, our emotions fuel our thoughts, and then our thoughts fuel our behavior. And so if we're just skipping between need and thought, or we don't even know our emotions or our needs, like we're just starting with thought, like there is so much of our identity and experience that we're just missing and neglecting um, by not diving deeper into that part of ourselves. And so you know, being able to understand our emotional experience on top of that, our attachment style, um, if you're familiar with attachment theory is formed by the time we're three years old. We don't start forming conscious memories till the time that we're five. And so again, through our emotional experience, we have already figured out how we earn love and attention, how people respond to us before we can even form conscious memories. Like we have this innate sense of identity and the way that we fit into the world before we can even really perceive what's going on around us in like a higher functioning type of way. And then on top of that, A lot of people usually say like, you know, when I was a kid, I just, you know, I was so much fun. And I was like, I was always going on adventures and I was just like this daredevil. and I did all of these things and I was always so happy. And they're like, just something happened. And what happens is you turn seven and seven is when ego starts to develop. Um, And that's when we sort of start to develop, like, if you think of like a Venn diagram, it's like, you know, we start off kind of congruent where it's like our authentic self is sort of just our identity, but we start to move into this way where it's like now our thoughts, now our behaviors start to dictate, like, you know, comparing ourselves to other people, or this person has what I don't, or like, you know, if my parents are responding, my primary caregivers responding this way, like I need to be something else. And we almost start developing what we call this false self. And so we say literally everything goes back to childhood, a hundred percent, everything goes back to childhood. And like seven is when we start, you know, cutting off pieces of ourselves, rejecting pieces of ourselves, pushing pieces of ourselves down and just moving further away from who we are authentically meant to be. And so it's like who we are in childhood genuinely is this authentic version of ourselves. And we just start constructing this person that we feel like we have to be for most of our lives. And our brain can do such a good job of making you believe that your false self is who you are. Um, When it's like, I don't know if, you know, you've seen all those memes where it's like, oh, when you find out that like, you know, it was something that was a trauma response, it wasn't actually your personality. Um, But it's like, you know, it's true. (laughs) It's, you know, we feel this pressure to become somebody completely different than who we are, because that's what we've learned gets us what we want and we can go our entire lives just feeling like something is missing and not knowing what that is because ego does such a good job of making us believe that that is authentically who we are when it's not and we can do this thing um i'm sure there's a word for it but i call it like faux vulnerability um where it's like we can speak about vulnerable experiences in a very logic-brained way it's like we're like yeah i am so open like i'm just like super connected to my emotional experience like i'm this very genuine authentic human being but you're speaking about everything in such a logical disconnected way that it's like that's still the false self like that's still not you and so it's really hard to differentiate which one is showing up and when um and like our like time is a human construct so it's like you know we our brain doesn't know what is past, what is, like, you know, future, like, what is in the present, Um, and so a lot of times we can get, you know, pulled into worrying about the future, and we can get, like, pulled into, like, you know, seeing things from the past, and giving these, you know, negative or, like, false appraisals to the thing in front of us, because, like, we think that it's genuine, but, like, you're saying we can bring ourselves into the present moment, where we actually have a sense of control, and we can identify what it is that we're feeling in that moment, therefore, like, what is it that we specifically need, like, there's pretty much no stopping us which sounds a little dramatic but like you know I think when you can identify your emotional experience when you can pull yourself into the present and like put those blinders on from like you know what is to be and what has been like you have so much power and control that we just miss so many opportunities of if we're yeah blinded by things from the past so mm-hmm. it all goes back to childhood it's such a cliche um I feel like I have clients joke about that where they're like again like my childhood again and it's like oh well, yeah yeah <laughs> everything is out there so <laughs>
1: yeah everything is formed there I love your passion when you talk about all this stuff and I share the same passion <laughs> so I totally I'm with you you know on that and based on what you said I also feel like uh, my understanding is that based on one of the typologies of personalities I'm not sure if you're familiar with Enneagram uh, typology and I love Mm -hmm. Enneagram it's like my favorite absolute favorite thing to do and to explore and to you know ask all the people around me what is their type and whatever and because in this like you have nine personalities right and three of them Mm -hmm. are more kind of like emotional and then three of them are more intellectual and three of them are more action-based so based on that Mm -hmm. you see like okay, six out of nine of them are not that emotional. I mean, okay, the ones that are closer uh, with the wing to the ones that are emotional, which means they have traits Mm -hmm. of the personality, neighboring personality, maybe might be a little bit more emotional, but most of the population would be not emotional that much, right? Uh, More Mm action-based, more intellectual-based. So therefore, I feel like emotional awareness is one of the missing pieces in our society. If we could have more emotional awareness and really, as you say, be present in the moment and act out of what the present moment awareness and our authentic self wants to say rather than going with the subconscious program, just coding from the computer that was placed there when we were like five, seven, two years old or whatever, then we would live a more truthful and authentic life. But that just brings me to the topic of authenticity, because I feel like you're obviously an expert because you are uh, alchemist of authenticity, right? So um, I would love to talk about that a little bit, because... For me, there is a different definition for authenticity that someone might have, and I feel like I would love, love to touch upon it with you because one of them is like authenticity based on like expressing how you feel in the moment and like authentically honestly saying how you feel. So that's like one Part of the authenticity, Mm -hmm. which then is kind of like, okay, you know how you feel in this moment right now, and you know how generally you might feel, but then you have so much suppressed shit within you, so many suppressed parts of you that actually, if you Mm -hmm. really wanted to be authentic, you would have to express all of them, right? But they are unconscious. Mm -hmm. They are like, you're not even conscious of them. So you cannot really be fully authentic 100% unless you know all parts of you that are subconscious too, because this is still a part of you and it's still authentic to you to act in a specific way, but you just do it subconsciously and not consciously. So that's like one way of looking at it. And I'm curious how you see Mm -hmm. authenticity based on that. And then another way is the authenticity based on more like, the essence and like the higher self in a way the soul someone could say because like if I would say that if I had experiences like of fully being just in my soul and just feeling my soul in my body and just walking on this earth for example when I was fasting uh, for an extended period of time I was I once did the twice did the fast of three weeks and so during mm-hmm. fasting process I was really just feeling like I'm a soul walking in a human body I'm not really a mind I'm not thinking anything I'm just experiencing life and just being this pure essence and so that felt authentic to me too so that's like a different level of authenticity like authenticity in, in terms of everyone authentically is love is joy is light right and then mm-hmm. the 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 programs the traumas that are programming us are kind of like let's say quote unquote inauthentic uh, so how do you mm-hmm. like how do you see authenticity based on these two let's say definitions or perspectives on authenticity because uh, i'm really curious about yeah what you have to say and, and about these two as well <laughs>
0: I think I agree with everything that you're saying. And it's like, you know, what is the degree to which we can come home to ourselves, and sort of be at least who we believe that we are in that moment, where it's like, if you're being who you believe yourself to be, it's like, that's not necessarily inauthentic, it's not the most authentic you can be. But I think we have, you know, we all have moments where it's like, you know, insecurity is going to get the best of us. Um, Or if we have a powerful emotion, like, you know, sadness, or anger, or fear, it's like, We're not always going to behave in an authentic way, but it's like, do we have the awareness afterwards to take accountability for how we showed up? Are we willing to do that inner work after? Are we willing to own up for the fact that I wasn't behaving as my authentic self in that moment where if you are imperfect in your authenticity, that doesn't make you less authentic? And, you know, sometimes like, um, like something I've probably, you know, thought or said, you know, five years ago, it's like, I don't believe that necessarily anymore, but it doesn't mean that I wasn't authentic in that moment. It's like, I genuinely thought that to be true about myself then. But as I've unpacked things and done the work, like I have realized that like, yeah, maybe that's not so true anymore. But it's like, yeah, it doesn't make it less authentic then if I genuinely believe that that was true and who I was. Um, and so I think it's partly just giving ourselves compassion for the way that we're showing up in the moment, um, which like, you know, explains, but doesn't excuse where it's like, you know, taking accountability for the times that we make mistakes or behave out of alignment with our authenticity. Um, but it's just really about like, can you be true? Like you said, I love that word essence, like to the essence and the core of who you are as a human being more than anything else. Mm.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of like, that's why this authenticity as a definition is so hard to, Um, use even as a word or whatever because you know on one hand you have authenticity as your essence and on one hand you have authenticity as how you feel in the moment which is based on trauma which is based on programs which is not the essence right Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like both both playing out I think uh, simultaneously because you can be let's say in an emotional trauma response and then authentically express how you feel but then come back to your essence and be like okay this is my program and not who I really was but at that time it was really honest for me to say that this is how I feel and uh, yeah another thing is like authenticity it's like you can you have so many different parts of you like you know for example one part of me really likes uh, going through my emotional release because then I know that I will feel better and I'm super happy to do it because I know that I'm going to improve my life and I'm going to feel so much uh, lighter and whatever but then part, another part of me is like fuck this negative shit. I don't even want to cry. I don't want to shout. I don't want to, you know, be uh, vulnerable. I don't want to go through all these things, shaking my body or crying or punching the pillows or whatever. And it's unpleasant. Like, I don't want it. It creates discomfort. So, if I say I'm happy to do this, it's true. But also, if I say I'm very not happy to do this, it's also true. So, I feel like it's such a hard thing to, you know, to express authenticity because then, like... Usually, both are true. And usually, if we identify as one, let's say a confident person, then there is a part of us that is not confident as well, simultaneously. And maybe we just haven't discovered it because, as you said, we are creating these identities as a part of our experience when we have a trauma and we know that being confident will get us more love and approval. Then we become confident and we suppress the part of us that is not confident. And then, but then both of them are true. So, actually, saying anything about yourself that I'm only this or I'm only that is quite inauthentic because then you have this other part of you inside anyway so like it's it's quite yeah i think it's a very interesting and also challenging topic to talk about because everyone has their own definition of what it means but i feel like maybe if you talk about honesty uh that's and that's like a let's say similar word but it would it would be easier maybe to say because honestly if i honestly i feel right now like this or honestly you know Like, if you just honestly express yourself um, and, you know, then you can, like, really hold your boundaries and really create the most beautiful relationships, I think, because this is so crucial to just, like, really express who you are and not hide uh, anything because actually like yeah if you if you're not authentic in your life if you're not honest with yourself and with others you're pretty much are creating what you don't want like if you're putting up with something that you don't really vibe with and you're just like not saying it because you don't want to hurt someone or you don't want to you know create some drama or whatever then you're actually making yourself in you know bad position and it's not very good for you at all because like it's you're going to just attract people that and situations and conditions that you agree to but if you're like okay i have a boundary this is not what i'm going to put up with and i honestly think that this is not for me this relationship is not for me this is not how i want to be treated then you actually can be empowered and create the life you desire the most so uh, i think authenticity is such a big big and important topic so what do you feel like people should do who feel like they struggle with being authentic and expressing exactly how they feel in the moment
0: Well, because I think a couple of things is like, you know, you just have to practice. Um, and I don't know too, if like, you've come across like the term, like, you know, shadow or like doing shadow work and everything too, where it's like, how do we acknowledge like the deeper, darker parts of ourselves? Um, like, for example, it's like, you know, when you think of like the, uh, like, uh, stress responses where there's fight, flight, freeze, but then there's also the fourth one fawn. um, where it's like, you know, sort of people pleasing, like getting people on your team, like having, like building that support system just in case something were to go wrong. But it's like at its core, if we look at it in like a shadow sense, it's like people pleasing is actually manipulation. Um, like where it's like, you know, getting people to believe that you are a certain thing or sort of like, you know, getting people to like you, to ease some of your own discomfort. And it's like, how do we sort of come to terms with some of these things? Um, and it's like, again, I think like a big piece of it comes back down to compassion. Um, and it's like, how do we have compassion for ourselves for the way that we're showing up or even going back to inner child where it's like when that shadow self is showing up, it's like, that is a part of you that deserves love just as much as like, you know, who you are at your essence, who you are at your core, who you are authentically like that true genuine congruent self it's like that false self deserves just as much love and compassion and like it's almost like one of those paradoxical things where it's like even though you hate that version of yourself even though you don't like that version of yourself even though you recognize that that version of you is not necessarily authentic it's like if we don't love it, it's never going to go away. Um, And it's like, you know, sometimes it's just starting with tolerating those parts of ourselves. Um, But again, not acknowledging that they're there, not acknowledging our own flaws and faults is just as inauthentic as, you know, anything else. And I think um, I was just having a conversation with um, one of my colleagues the other day where we were talking about sometimes even in the spiritual community, it feels like there's sometimes this I don't want to call it toxicity, but almost toxicity where people like, but I'm doing the work. So like, you know, I am authentic or, you know, I do know what's going on or I do know all of these things best. Um, And it's like, that's almost a red flag where it's like, but like coming into like that spiritual place and acknowledging your true self and essence is knowing like we don't know it all. And like, we are still learning and we're always on this journey and we're always growing and changing and we're always moving closer to our higher purpose. And so I feel like sometimes people can almost like hide behind this sort of, um, I think when we talk about um, attachment styles too, where it's like, you know, attachment styles like apply to romantic relationships, they also apply to friendships and our jobs. But the thing that we forget the most is attachment styles also apply to ideologies and belief systems. And so sometimes people can almost like attach this sort of like meaning where it's like, I want to believe in this thing that tells me that I am loving and tells me that I'm good because I don't have to change. If I'm good, if I'm like, you know, working on things where it's like, then I am inherently good. And it's like, the thing is like, yes, I do believe genuinely all people are inherently good. And we sort of do things that maybe are out of alignment with our values to earn that love, attention, affection, you know, whatever the false self is kind of guiding us towards. But all of us are imperfect. All of us are human. All of us are going to make mistakes. And this goes back to like, yeah, we're not having those conversations about the times that we fail, about the times that we're, you know, sad, that we're experiencing grief, that we're imperfect, that we let anger get the better of us, that, you know, you're like, yeah, it's like, you know, you knew the best thing for you was to do these emotional releases, but you're like, today, I just really don't want to. And it's like, we always feel like if we're not showing up perfectly 100% of the time, then we are feeling or doing something wrong. And that is 100% not true. And I personally have so much more, respect um for somebody who i think can acknowledge their flaws and faults and when they're showing up imperfectly and doing all of these things and um like it's really hard um and so again i think a core piece of that is like when we can educate ourselves on our emotional experience um like when we start to realize again when you're going back to like starting the therapeutic process and realizing that what you think and feel is genuinely important it's like we have to feel that sense of security again like we are hurt through other people growing up and so sometimes we can only heal through other people and so we can like build that foundation but that's when like going into isolation and doing these things independently and like you know being able to give yourself those gifts through reparenting and all these other strategies like it's really this process that you have to move through and like you know I mean there's a lot of different levels to it but it's just really really not giving up trusting the process knowing that you're going to make mistakes because i feel like people try and then it gets hard or you know they fall off the wagon or they don't know how to do something and they're so scared to ask for help or to make a mistake or do something wrong that they just abandon the process um versus being like no this is just a normal part of it like i have been like, you know, I even tell my clients where I'm like, you know, I'll like say things and they're like, God, I wish I could have like written that down because like, I wish I could just like verbatim, like say that to someone else. I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Like, trust me. Like when I'm angry and in the moment, like, I don't always handle things perfectly. I don't always say the best thing. Like, um, you know, a formerly severe anxious attachment. so it's like, when my, you know, anxious attack, like I did not always behave in alignment with my values, but like objectively from the outside, it's so much easier for me to say these things, but like, this is, your process, and like you know, you can't compare. Like you know, if another person exists, our brain is automatically going to compare us to them. But like you cannot compare me and my experience, and me objectively sitting outside of this, and my different experiences to you, and what you're going through in your moment. And like again, it's like if we sort of compare ourselves, like we're abandoning our authenticity in the way. So I don't know if you can hear my cat playing with something with a bell in it over there. <laughs> um, but like it's you know it's it's difficult. Um, because I wish I could say I feel like there's one right way to do it um but something i also you know recommend to a lot of my clients is like just do things like follow joy Um, follow the things that sort of light you up and make you feel happy. Um, I think that there's a lot of journaling prompts, but it's like, you know, starting these journaling prompts, but leaving space or leaving a whole page because it's like, as you get to know you, like you can go back and refine some of these answers as far as like who you are and what you're interested in, and you know, what you like and what do you believe. And um, like, it's, again, there's no perfect way to do it, but I'd say, you know, follow joy and the things that make you genuinely happy. Educate yourself on your emotional experience and what message each of those emotions is trying to give you um and then it's like yeah just sort of journal right like find like go on Pinterest you know on on TikTok there's a million journal prompts that come up if you're sort of looking under the right hashtags or in sort of like the right circles I think but it just it really takes time like think of like you know your best friend or it's like you know it's going to take you months it's going to take you years to feel like you deeply know and trust this person and like give yourself that same courtesy and time
1: Mm, beautiful thank you for sharing all that I, I'm just so excited because I have many questions but I need to pick only a few uh, so one of the things is you said because we have okay att- attachment styles just briefly for people who maybe don't know it and they listen to it there mm-hmm. are four from what I know anxious, avoidant, disorganized and secure and anxious mm-hmm. is kind of like I had uh, anxious attachment style I mean now probably not as much but still my background mm-hmm. is anxious attachment style so it's kind of like a codependency uh, thingy where you feel just not good when you are um yeah just maybe scared or just uh, scared of separation or maybe you have abandonment wound or things like that that's how it came for me avoidance when you feel unsafe being with someone right when you are unsafe Mm -hmm. feeling connected disorganized is when you have them both at the same time and then secure is when it's all kind of like balanced so first my first question is is it even possible to have a secure attachment style (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) 100 it is (laughs) Um, And again, it's like, you know, some people I think are just, you know, I I don't want to say lucky, but it's like, you know, if you have parents that have done the work or parents that are emotionally secure, um, it's like, you know, you're going to grow up that way too. And secure doesn't mean that you had caregivers that showed up perfectly. Um, It just means that they were able to sort of hold space for your emotions. Where I think, I don't know if you watched um, Atlas of the Heart uh, on HBO Max, the Brene Brown special, but like she even asks, she's like, how many of you in the audience like grew up in, you know, a household where emotions were prioritized. And I think there's maybe like a hundred people in the audience and three raised their hands. And it's like, you know, it's, the strong minority i would say um but again like you're saying too i would i, I think i say formerly anxiously attached i don't want to say again i'm like a hundred percent into secure at this point because i think that there's always you know triggers and things that are going to come up but it's like if you're willing to do the work and address these parts of yourself, you can definitely become secure you are not locked in to whatever your attachment style starts as um and it's like typically too it's like you know when you start as anxiously attached where it's like you know think anxious leans in avoidant leans out um and so when anxious is leaning in it's like you know people who are of opposite emotional or opposite attachment styles tend to attract and so the funny thing is like you know people who are anxious
1: that triggers the fuck out of me like I always attract anxious (laughs)
0: attachment style and it's so (laughs) triggering it's the worst thing ever but also the most healing it is it is but the thing too is like it's so funny because people who are anxiously attached are always like but I know my emotional experience I'm so into my emotional experience like why can't my partner meet me there but as you start to heal anxious attachment you realize like I chose avoidant partners because I'm also emotionally unavailable, but I didn't have to like sort of acknowledge my own emotional unavailability because my partner was even more emotionally unavailable. And so it's funny (laughs) because like, even like in my own healing process, I realized that where I was like, you know, yeah, I'm so emotionally aware and I'm so good in a relationship and I know how to communicate and blah, 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 blah. And then I got to this point where I was like, Oh, actually I'm emotionally unavailable. And I was like, crap, like, it was like you know like three hours in a trench coat this whole time and you finally like realize it and it's like you know then you have to again build your emotional awareness and experience so that like you can really like when you know who you are authentically at your core it's like dating is so different like especially since I feel like I've come to this more secure place where it's like I I don't feel that spark anymore so a lot of times that spark is really just that like um attachment style of being activated um or it's like the people that I think I found the most success like in relationships with when I first met them I felt nothing like I was like I enjoy your company I think you're a super great person I feel like we communicate super well and that spark just isn't there to the point where you're like am I actually into you or like I genuinely don't know because you're so used to feeling like that high or that low again your subconscious your unconscious picks up on someone's attachment style way before we consciously do where it's like always when we go back you can see all those red flags everything from the beginning and you're like yep it was literally there the whole time I just didn't see it um but it's like now it's just like it's so calm And it's like, I don't go into it, like expecting people to, you know, super like me or whatever, where it's like, I know what I bring to the table as a partner. Like, I know who I am as a person. And like, either you're going to see that or you're not. And it's like, if you don't see that, like, you know, it might suck, it might hurt, but it's like, you know, that's just the way it works. It doesn't say anything about me or who I am as a person. I'm not going to change anything about me because one person I went on a date with, you know, didn't see me or like something or whatever. And like, it's just so much more empowering when you have this awareness for the way that you're showing up and yes or like these lies that your brain is telling you about attachment what to believe and dating and whatever else and it's it's really freeing I think to do that work and move into a more secure
1: Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing. And so, another question that really uh, I would really love to know, because you said, okay, if for example, if I have an anxious attachment style, would I also have an anxious attachment style to my beliefs and to my thoughts and to my emotions, as you mentioned? Because it's not only how we relate to other people; it's also how we relate to our beliefs and emotions. And so, is my attachment style gonna kind of like spill over all the other things, or is it possible to have other attachment style too? for example, your thoughts and beliefs, or is it always like the same? And then if, if then, if it's the same one or even different, how does it even play out? Like what, if I have anxious attachment style, for example, to my thoughts and emotions, how does it play out in my consciousness?
0: So there's a lot of different ways I think that you would see it playing out. Um, and so some of the examples I'm thinking of is like somebody somebody who is anxiously attached. Um, it's like they might lean more heavily on support systems. And so again, like on the surface, it's like, no, you have more connections if you have a better support system, but it might come to the point that like, you're abandoning your own judgment to sort of default into, like, some sort of support system, or I don't want to say everybody that seeks help, um, like, you know, has anxious attachment, because obviously it goes both ways, Um, but, like, I'm sure, like, you know, you've experienced, like, you know, clients or people where they're like, but, like, I need you to tell me what you think, or they're Googling every answer to something, and they're looking everything up on the internet, and they're like, well, I don't know what I think, but, you know, if I Google this, like, you know, the internet will tell me, you know, what I should think, or what I should feel, or what I should, or if I read this book, or if I, like, do this thing, like, then I'll know what to do, but, like, we're abandoning our own judgment and intuition. And usually there's like a certain answer that we're looking to confirm almost again, which is still abandoning ourselves and our own judgment and our own emotional experience. Um, And people who are anxiously attached are more likely to be in jobs that demand too much of them. Um, Or it's like a job where you feel like you have to prove yourself, like a job where you know, just you as you are is not enough that you have to be, you know, overachieving and super productive. And, you know, you're, you know, you might be like the most liked person in the office, but again, like it could be that fond response. It could be that people pleasing where it's like, I need everybody here to like me so that I don't get fired. Or I need everybody here to like me so that, you know, there's a certain outcome or certain opportunity or something can happen. And this so can in that moment, you're aban- abandoning who you authentically are in order to get something that you want or you need. Um, and again, these things might not always be so obvious. Um, but I guess those are just like some of the first examples that pop in my head of like, yeah, ways that you would abandon, you know, who you are, what you think, what you believe, like in preference for something outside of yourself instead.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about anxious, uh, uh, sorry, avoidant attachment style in this case, when it comes to like beliefs and emotions? Mm-hmm.
0: So they're probably going to be somebody where it's like, they're going to be much less likely to seek help just in general. Um, They're going to be less likely to probably be in therapy. They're probably not going to be reading the books. They're not going to be listening to the podcasts. Um, They're probably going to be somebody who's in a job that just like, they can completely disconnect Um, Or it's like something all consuming to the point where it's like they don't have to feel they don't have to think it's like they can sort of just presently be with this thing. Um, There might be like, you know, the overworker, like the person who, you know, works like the insanely long hours, like the super intense job, the job that is more, you know, logic brained or numbers focused, like something where like they don't necessarily have to tap into their emotional side. Um, They might also struggle with creativity a little bit. Um, But yeah, again, it's like those are just the first examples that pop in my head, but I'm sure there's, you know, a lot more ways um and it's like you know to even getting into um like you know it's 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 interesting where like certain um like uh i don't know certain programs (laughs) um but it's like it's funny like i i I even see just kind of anecdotally in my clients like there are certain people who have avoidant attachment like they're drawn to very specific individuals um like you know uh, celebrities you know podcasts like people who speak Um, where it's just funny you see all these like little things that seem to align where it's like you know what is the message that you're getting here and like what are these what are you getting out of these resources that yeah sort of again tell you like you know you're fine you don't need to change like everything as you are is okay it's like you know other people's faults or you know like yeah like listen to me I have the answers like I can do this for you and like it's just it's really interesting even anecdotally to see the way that people are drawn I think to certain resources just based on their attachment style alone.
1: Mm, That's so interesting and what do you uh, think about this there's organized Attachment style, then how do, because this is like the most uh, interesting one because you have
0: both at once. So, how does that play out? That's, I feel like that's much more dependent on the situation and relationship. Um, and so, again, it's almost that paradoxical counterintuitive thing where it's like the closer someone gets to our inner circle, the more that they're going to tap into that attachment style and attachment wound for us. And so, it's the people that we're closest to that often see the worst in us. Um, which is, like, you know, because we know that they love us, but also, like, we're so much more emotionally dependent on them that there is a higher risk, um, you know, at stake with this individual. Um, and so I think it sort of depends on the situation, typically, on the person, what the relationship is, what the dynamic is. Um, but, you know, it, it yeah, it can go sort of either way. And I think, again, kind of coming from that, you know, perspective where it's, like, it really depends more on their experiences and their specific wounds and trauma to know, like, which one's going to sort of appear and when. Um, but yeah so it's like it depends (laughs) is the short version
1: of that answer Mm -hmm. and so for disorganized disorganized attachment style it's kind of like a specific situation might trigger either avoidant or anxious depending on how we were programmed probably with the trauma before right depending on like how the energy is and how it's gonna trigger you and so on is that correct
0: Mm -hmm. yeah where it's either like that leaning in where it's like please it's like i think like the two phrases that kind of break it down is like anxious is like, please don't leave me. And avoidance is like, I just want to be able to get it right. And so it's like kind of those things where it's like, you know, please don't leave me. But then it's like, but wait, like, if I feel like I'm failing at the relationship or whatever, it's like actually get away from me. Like, cause like when I'm with you, I feel like I'm failing or I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And like, I don't like that. Um, and so it's like, you know, that push pull, like even just at the individual level, which can be really confusing um for a partner too. Cause they're like, I have You know, I just, I don't understand what's going on or I thought that things were okay or I thought you wanted me to not leave, but now that I'm here, you want me to, it it can be really confusing. But again, it just really depends on specifically what that trigger is in the moment based on that person's unique wounds.
1: Perfect. And so how do you develop a secure attachment
0: style then? What do you do? A lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, part of it is, you know, that is like, you know, the only way I think is just really educating yourself through resources, like, you know, reading books or attending workshops. Um, cause I think it's one of those things where, especially if you've had it your entire life, um, like ego does such a good job of convincing you that this is genuinely who you are, that we can't usually see it for ourselves, that it takes an outside perspective, kind of holding us accountable, kind of moment to moment where, um, like in therapy, it's like, if a client is telling me an experience and you know, they're kind of like, I don't understand why this happened. And I'll be like, okay, but let's approach this through an attachment lens. And like, now tell me, why do you think like maybe this happened? And they're like, Oh, like now I can kind of see with clarity maybe what was going on here. But, um, like, you know, there's really great Instagram accounts. Again, um, TikTok has amazing, you know, therapists and resources on there. There's a lot of great books that I can recommend. Um, Wired for Love and Attached are just two of the ones that pop in my head right away. Um, but, you know, it, it, I mean, this is one thing where it does take looking outside of yourself, I think. Like, it takes somebody else holding us accountable, somebody else giving us those resources because we just genuinely can't see it for ourselves a lot of the time.
1: Mm, obviously because it's all subconscious so how can we know what we don't know about ourselves right exactly (laughs) so so pretty much doing the subconscious work of discovering who you are and just being present Mm -hmm. in the moment and just really getting more and more about awareness about yourself that's like the uh, the way to Mm -hmm. go right
0: yep yeah what's you and what were you
1: taught about who you are so Mm amazing thank you so so much this conversation was so so beautiful and if someone would like to maybe connect with you and know more or see your content what's the best way to do this
0: um probably through instagram um my account is at devin kayley c-a-l-e-y-y um and then like through there i have my you know my blog and everything else linked to but um yeah that's my personal account that i check way more so um i'll probably be way more responsive on that one
1: amazing thank you so so much for everything that you shared it was a really interesting conversation for me as well because I'm all into all these topics as well you know emotions and and attachment styles and personality and all these things so I'm super super grateful that you agreed to uh, be with us so thank you so so much
0: likewise thank you so much for having me I appreciate it
1: Thank you so, so much for being with us, listening to us, and supporting us with your presence, with your beautiful presence. If you'd like to find me, I'm The Connection Catalyst on Instagram. I have some content there, some reels, some quotes, some cool stuff about you know self-help and uh, psychotherapeutic stuff, emotional release, and you name it, spirituality as well, uh, psychology. So if you're interested, follow me there. And I'm super grateful that you're here with us and stay tuned to the next episode.